It's a, it's a tremendous joy. This is not a formality, just what the speaker is supposed to share before he gets up to preach. But I want you to know from my heart to yours, uh, my wife and I have relished the prospects of coming and meeting you and getting to know you and fellowshipping around God's Word during these days. So extremely, eternally grateful for what God has provided in the way of providence. Uh, I want you to know your pastor is well uh, beloved there in Eastern Europe. Of course, he's been over there a number of times. Many of our missionaries know and speak very fondly of Scott Lee. And so, brother, they can't wait for you to come back again. And maybe the Lord and His providence will allow us to travel over there together. It will be a joy to work with you once again. Well, I've just got to share my heart with you before we look into God's Word this evening. Uh, I'm increasingly disenamored with... An intellectual grasp of the great theologies of the gospel when it does not make your heart dance. I'm convinced more and more that we need a baptism of experiential holiness. Something that's real, something that makes a lively impression upon our hearts. And I tell you, I'm so grateful for Providence that God set this up for me to come and your pastor feeling and sensing God's heart that what better theme could be addressed during a conference of this nature to really encourage and comfort and sustain the people of God than the theme of the love of Christ. And so when he gave me the assignment and then of course we went back and forth and he said, Brother Don, if you would... If you think you can take it, would you speak five times on the love of God or the love of Christ? I said, I'll do what I can. And then I came back and said, all right, I'll certainly accept that assignment. But I had no idea in God's providence how God would use the content of these messages to impact me. And so I'm thankful for the sweet providence of the Savior As Spurgeon says, the the keys of providence swing from the girdle of Christ. And God is the one that has put this together. And one of the implications of this conference is how God is using it to speak to my own heart. So tonight we come to a text that has with it a great weight of objective reality to it. Namely, the love of God as being put on display through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there is something profoundly experiential in this text. And I want you to see it with me tonight. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter 5. There are various titles that I could give the message. I believe I submitted one to your pastor, and that's what he has put on the schedule But if we were to come closer to the reality of this experience, it would be simply God's love poured out. Or if we're looking for perhaps a more timely theme, it would be a hope that doesn't disappoint. Or better still, the enabling power of God's experiential love. So if you would follow with me in your Bibles, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1 of Romans chapter 5. The Scripture says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have obtained, also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. If you would note that verse there, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Other translations have tribulations. So it's not just encompassing persecution that the saints in Rome are experiencing at that moment, but this really entails all hardships, all sorrows and sufferings in the life of the believer. And so he goes on to say in verse 4, an endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. It does not disappoint. It doesn't fall short of its expectations is the idea there because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But here's the objective truth. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our dear friend Paul Washer had a very difficult childhood, not going to the details. One day he disclosed some things to me. He did it very discreetly so as not to dishonor his father. But it was a very difficult childhood. As a result, he had a very distorted view of God. And after his conversion... He had an encounter where the love of God was poured out in his heart abundantly by the Holy Spirit. He said to me no less than three times since I've known him over the years, and the reason I can remember is he says it with such force and weight, it provokes me to righteousness because the words are so full of power that you can tell he's living in the realm of the reality. And those words, as he looked at me, were, Brother Don, this is the modesty of Paul Washer, I don't know a whole lot, but there's one thing I know, is that God loves me. God loves me. Our brother Jeff, in the previous session, he alluded to this, But we need to really kind of sit down and ask ourselves the question, do you really know that God loves you? Or is it just an academic? Is it just something that's matter of fact? Is it something that you've read or maybe even wrapped your mind around theologically? But do you know personally, experientially, intimately that Jesus loves you? Now, when I received the assignment, I mean, to me, this is one of 
initially I thought one of the easiest attributes of God to unpack. Love of God, no problem. It's been the most difficult. You have no idea. And if you have a simple grasp of the love of Christ, I mean, that's sufficient to save your soul. It's sufficient to to give you multiple overtures of how much God loves you. But I tell you, friend, when you really get down into the depth of the theology of it, and then you start fleshing out the implications, no wonder D.A. Carson would write that book and entitle it, The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. But it's rich. And it's a dawning task, but it's a rewarding task if you take the time to flesh it out in the Scriptures. A.W. Tozer said, The love of God is the hardest of all His attributes to speak about. Tozer said that. You may not understand God's love for us. He said, I don't know if I do myself. We are trying to comprehend the incomprehensible. It's like trying to take the ocean in your arms or embrace the atmosphere or rise to the stars. No one can do it. So tonight we look at this subject and I pray that you'll get a taste and you'll glean something here tonight that will drive you increasingly to flesh out the love of God in the heart of the Gospel. Here's where I am spiritually. I'll just be very transparent with you. Last few years, I've been on a pilgrimage spiritually of the gospel-driven life. And my conclusion is that not only has God ordained the gospel as the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes, but He's also chosen to use that same gospel as the power of God and the sanctification to those who've already believed. The gospel, friend, that saves you is the gospel that sanctifies you. And as you'll see tonight, this same gospel is the very one that sustains you and gives you comfort in all of life's trials. With that said... We are challenged to think deeply about God. You know, just being around your pastor the brief time I have, and even as we pray tonight, I can sense that Brother Scott, he is inclined toward an experiential manifestation of the love of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's my heartbeat. Yes, I'm not minimizing study of the Scriptures and study of the attributes of God and the love of God, friend. But listen, in our seminaries we're teaching men to think deeply but not feel deeply. And in our churches, sadly, in the Reformed churches, we teach people to think deeply. And there's nothing wrong with that. But listen, friend, does it lead you to feel deeply after God's? You see, the persecuted church in Rome didn't need a pep talk on how to weather the storms of aggression. They didn't need some self-help ideologies to sustain them in the midst of persecution. 
Here's what they needed. And this is what Paul knew they needed, as you see it throughout his epistle to the Romans. They needed the knowledge of God. Have you noticed this? I mean, just to give you sort of a a taste of it, you find that the attributes that he mentions and expounds a little along the way are such things as the goodness of God in Romans 2.4, His love in Romans 8, His mercy in Romans 9, His peace in Romans 15 and verse 33. He keeps bringing back over and over again, not some self-help philosophy, but rather the attributes of God. And He does it in the context of the Gospel. In light of Paul's approach, watch this now, the greatest need of the modern church is heavy doses of the knowledge of God. You can't go wrong there, brothers and sisters. Take the time to study, to flesh out these attributes of the Almighty, because the promise is that the people that know their God shall be strong and do mighty deeds. It's amazing how your knowledge of the holy will buoy you up during times of sorrow. Of all those attributes, though, what seems to be the most prominent to strengthen and stabilize suffering saints, suffering saints, is His love. As a matter of fact, I find it to be a foretaste of heaven divine. Packer agrees with me. J.R. Packer said, To know God's love is indeed to know heaven on earth. But the Apostle John also (laughs) loved this. The disciple whom Jesus loved. You can't be a parent or a grandparent without being accused sooner or later of showing favorites. Right? Well, John didn't have that notion that he was one of God's favorites. Other texts prove that he said himself that Jesus loved this group that he wrote about in the context. But yet, there's something that he tasted, there was something experientially he had encountered that he felt like he was singled out, that he was the very object of the affection of his Lord. So much so, listen to this living testimony in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16. So we have come to know, and the word there is, have been made to experience and to believe the love that God has for us. Listen to this. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. This is an experiential encounter. I know what some of you guys are thinking. You say, well, sound to me like he's kind of a mystic. I'm not a mystic, friend. I'm not a mystic. But I'm saying the Bible was ordained to make your heart dance. To warm your heart. To know the presence of Christ in an intimate way. Know Him scholarly. Know Him theologically. Know Him objectively. But do not negate the subjective work of the Spirit in your heart in making Christ beautiful before your eyes. Listen. Looking at Romans 5, we see that Paul encountered 
the distressed saints in Rome with the doctrine of justification by faith. Is that how we would oppress somebody whose life was falling apart? I mean, if you had a close friend that was a victim of some atrocity and they are just wrung out, would you begin with justification by faith if that friend was a believer? That's what Paul did. You see, these were the years prior to Nero's reign. Persecution is going to get worse. Aggression is going to increase. But already the saints were under great oppression. And it's interesting here, you find that the reason he stresses the importance of justification by faith is that he gives them four benefits of this justification. Track with me if you would. In verse 1, he speaks that as a result of the justification of faith through Christ, we have peace with God. He taught that this peace could only be attained through faith in the work of Christ alone. He says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now think with me along these lines. If you put any emphasis on your performance, peace with God is unattainable. I mean, there's always something you've got to tweak. There's always something you've got to prove upon. There's something that I need to flesh out and study in my life so I might more be able to internalize. Listen to me. If you get caught up in that, there is no peace with God. There is no assurance of salvation. Remember this. Full assurance is not the result of your performance, but His propitiation. Yes. What Christ has done is enough. Secondly, there's another benefit of justification, and that is in verse 2. It's in the present tense. He said, we have received grace to stand. Grace to stand. It's always available. The fruit of justifying faith is resilient grace. The enabling power of grace is evident in its endurance. And then thirdly, in verse 2, he speaks of a certainty of glory. Notice he says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It's a guarantee of our acceptance on the basis of Christ. God has accepted us. Glory is a surety. We have assurance that heaven is our home. And then another benefit is the character producing hope. You see this in verses 3 and 4. Follow him if you would. We rejoice in our sufferings or tribulations knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. Please listen. Justification sustained the saints of Rome in their sufferings. The dynamic here is justifying faith enable them to endure all the atrocities of persecution. They're dispersed. Fear abounds. Faithlessness is at the door. 
But here is Paul pressing upon their minds the importance of justification by faith because he knows the outflow, the implications of that is that God will sustain them if they know that God's for them enough to justify them on the basis of Christ. He will certainly meet their need and buoy them up during a crisis of this magnitude. So listen. Consequently, you find their hope of salvation was certain as it did not depend upon their own merit. It was certain as they had been given grace to endure, the grace wherein they stood. It was guaranteed by virtue of a confident hope in Jesus. Eternity was sure. And then furthermore, it was definite because of this character-producing hope that God wrought in their hearts. Their perseverance in their tribulation, men and women, proved that their faith was authentic. So with all that said tonight, let's approach some things that are going to be, I trust, very savory and encouraging to your heart. Why did all this happen? Because they had a hope. Are you with me now? That would not disappoint. In verse 5, it tells us that hope does not put us to shame. It doesn't fall short. It will not disappoint us. And then he says this. Please don't miss this. It will not leave us with a feeling of shame because what we hope for is rooted in our justification. You see, the factors of such endurance are found, listen to this now, in four benefits of grace by faith that we just looked at. And all of these are supported by what comes at the end of verse 5. That the love of God is poured out in their heart by the Holy Spirit. That's extremely subjective. That is radically experiential. It's something that you sense. It's tangible to your senses. Let me explain. Listen. Paul assures that the hope that bears us up under the fires of calamity, whatever they may be, it may be a fragmentation in your family, it may be financial woes, it may be that you've been rejected or misrepresented or reproached by someone else, it may be the forebodings of war in our country and all the schemes and conflicts in the political arena. I don't know what it is the devil is using to oppress you right now, but friend, listen, no matter what the fire of calamity God has provided something for us through the gospel. And when it really has the greatest impact in our life is when it is shed abroad. The love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. Now Martin Lloyd-Jones made this statement. I think this is very timely here. Listen carefully. 
The Apostle Paul, his assertion is that the man who can really rejoice and glory, are you with me? Can glory in tribulations is the man or the woman in whose heart the love of God has been shed abroad. God calls you to the mission field as a missionary. You go to one of the most reputable seminaries in the country. You get there in the context of the mission field. Your expectations are dashed. Your message is rejected. All of a sudden they start accusing you in their religious culture of being a hypocrite. Thanks be to God, friend, that our objective understanding of the gospel does have grace doing benefit in our lives to help us do that. But I'll tell you what will make you invincible and cause you to rejoice in those hardships is that the gospel and the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart, poured out abundantly in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And you see this in church history. Whether a man or a woman is being martyred, whether they're just discouraged in the mission field, whether they're experiencing some major malady, where their life is being threatened, their testimonies reveal that the Spirit came and the love of God overflowed their heart by the Holy Spirit. So what do we learn tonight? Listen. Let me give you three things to think about. First of all, is the nature of this love, the nature of God's love here. In verse 5, once again, we find that it was supernatural. It was supernatural. It says, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, you guys know this, but you know Romans chapter 8, verse 9, first John chapter 3, verse 4, tells us that when we pass from death into life, we receive the Holy Spirit, right? If any have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. But I really believe, brothers and sisters, whether it's a charismatic movement, whether it's just hyper-Pentecostal teaching, maybe it's some heretical person in the Word of Faith movement that's discouraged us, but we have underestimated terribly the power of the Holy Spirit. God gives His Spirit at the moment of conversion, and all... As many who have received Christ receive His Spirit. But the greatest gift outside of salvation in Jesus Christ is that the Comforter has come. And by His Spirit, God aids the believer at times when they are suffering, when they're reading from some traumatic event in their life. He has been known to sovereignly or in response to their request, shed abroad in their heart. The love of God by the Holy Spirit. It is not only a supernatural work, it is a subjective work. It has been poured out into our hearts. And friend, listen, those words itself reveal to us that this is experiential. It's not just something we know. It's not something that just fixates itself into our minds. It's something that really, literally, enlivens our hearts. So I would ask you tonight, do you have a lively sense of the love of God? 
is what makes all the difference in the world. A lively sense of the love of God because you've known the encounter of when the love of God was poured out in your heart. Here's the second thing I want you to see, and that is the occasions when this experiential love is given. Dear brothers and sisters, this is a sovereign work of God that we're talking about. The Spirit of God is a sovereign spirit. But listen, there are times when people have encountered in such magnitude the love of God being poured out at the moment of regeneration. I believe that there is some measure of God's love that is given at the moment of regeneration in every person that comes to faith in Christ. But I'm talking about when it's so expressed, so manifested, that you walk away knowing Jesus loves me. And it booze you up. Charles Leiter a few weeks ago was telling me about some relatives of his, a man and his wife, they were seeking Christ. God was drawing them. And they were meeting with Conrad Murrow one afternoon. <clears throat> and they were in a desperate strait, seeking for God to come and do something for them. And of all things, Conrad mentions a verse of Scripture that has nothing to do with salvation whatsoever. He quotes Luke 11, verse 13. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? And suddenly this couple, both of them at the same time, are engulfed with the love of God. They pass from death and life. They testify later that they believe they were regenerated at that moment. The effects were somewhat different. Although they had such an outflowing of this love in both their hearts, yet the woman, she wept, and then she was so composed as she just lavished the beauty of Christ and what He had done for her. The man wept for hours and hours, but there was such joy unspeakable and full of glory in his face, he couldn't say a word. Sometimes it happens that way. I say sometimes because the Spirit is sovereign. But sometimes it happens as a result of calamity. I want you to know I care. I know even on this Friday night, seated here in this auditorium, someone's going through a major problem. A difficulty. Like the young man who just got to Norway as a missionary, he and his dear wife, they just finished Bible school a couple of years ago. They got settled in Norway, and now he finds out he's got a rare form of cancer. It looks like he's going to die. He's back in the States taking treatments. I don't know what your story is tonight. Everybody's got one. It's coming. But listen, friend, during times like that, merciful Father, our kind Father comes and draws near. And out of the blue, whether we're asking for it or not, He comes and He manifests His love for us. 
This is the outpouring. This is the shedding abroad in the heart by the Holy Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones tells of a young minister by the name of Robert Robarts who died of consumption at the young age of 36 years of age. He told of his experience. He said his cough was chronic and very profuse and it made his chest ache. He says, quote, When I was sinking, I felt more of the consolations, listen to this now, the consolations and supports of my religion than I ever had experienced before. Oh, with what strong and assured confidence was I enabled to look up to my Redeemer and how gladly would I have resigned my soul into His hands. Listen to this now. What glorious manifestations of His love. Of His love and mercy. It's not put on, friend. He's not exaggerating. He's experiencing something. God has come. And he says, Oh, how did I rejoice to believe that in a few days more I should be with Him in glory eternal. But he lingered on. And closer to the time of his death, when he could no longer talk, he wrote on a slate, he wrote on a slate these words, Oh, I am happy in my God, in His love. I am going to possess Him forever. Since my last attack three weeks ago, the Lord has been near and has manifested His love to my soul in an uncommon degree. Talk to my wife. She was raised, to put it lightly, in an emotionally abusive home. She had a distorted view of God because of her father. After we were married, we went to a conference in Nashville, Tennessee. The pastor looked at Cindy, sensing the effects of not only that abuse, but also she went to a church, ultra-separatist, hard-hitting, brow-beating, gave the impression through preaching and counseling that God was a tyrant, He was a harsh taskmaster. So all it did was fuel this distorted view that she had of her father, her heavenly father. And the minister in Nashville looked at her and said, Cindy, The Father is so gentle. He's so kind and He's so loving. She goes back that afternoon reading the Scriptures and she's there in Song of Solomon chapter 2 that says, Kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. And she said, Father, would you please come and affirm your embrace in my life? Would you kiss me with the kisses of your mouth? And God came. And the love of God was shed abroad in her heart by the Holy Spirit. She didn't make that up. She didn't conjure it up. I know my wife. She didn't. But when I met her at the door, guess what I'm doing? I'm not doing the spiritual thing. I'm playing God. No, that was not spiritual. I come to the door and she meets me there. And I'm telling you, friend, her countenance looked like she'd just been emancipated. She was set free. So it comes on different occasions. 
Sometimes it will come as a result of craving. You're just hungry and you thirst for God. Listen, people, God honors hunger. Amen. He does. Extraordinary prayer when all of a sudden I'm tired and you say, but I choose, I'm going to spend longer alone with God and suddenly God comes and meets you, enlivens you and you mount with wings as eagles and you run and you're not weary and you walk and you're not faint. And in the midst of that experience, God pours out His love. Hal Harris, the Scottish, the Irish evangelist, spoke of his own experience with the love of God. And he said, Suddenly I felt my heart melting within me like wax before a fire. And a love to God for my Savior, I felt also not only love and peace, but longing to die and to be with Christ. He said, All I could do was say, Father, 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 over and over again. As he said, the Spirit that cries out, Abba, Father, was poured out upon me. Here's the third thing I want you to see at a glance. And that is, consider with me the enabling of God's love to endure trials. The enablement of God's love to endure trials. Verses 3 through 5. Look at these once again with me, if you would. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. And not only that, but we rejoice. Rejoice in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And these things. They produce, they beget one another. And the proven character produces another hope, even a greater measure of hope. And then he says, but this is hope. This hope is not to be looked upon with contempt. Because it is fulfilled. It does not disappoint. And the reason for it is it's being fueled by the love of God being poured out in my heart by the Holy Spirit. Now here's what I want you to see. Believers need more than a mere knowledge of the love of God. They must never be content with a basic understanding of it. Therefore, this calls, brothers and sisters, listen, it calls for the discipline of meditation. You see, to think much on the the love of God in Christ and its implications will afford us in itself comfort and a shelter for our weary soul. But listen, to experience the love of God is to possess a felt sense of His affection. A felt sense. That's not mystical. That's experiential. That's what I long for. That's why I pray for you. And these days, Pastor put the Scripture up on the board there in Ephesians chapter 3. The love of God manifested there. He's talking about, really in modern day revival language, a real outpouring, a manifestation of revival. And when that love of God comes in revival, a corporate body is enveloped with the love of God. As one person put it, love flows knee deep. Knee deep. And it's interesting, the word know there, for knowing that love, means to throw beyond the intellect. It's something that you are so overwhelmed by that you don't understand it. 
So, here's my concluding remark. Number one, we should never seek for manifestations of the Spirit above the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is just an exhortation, okay? Please don't take what I've said tonight and say, yeah, that needs to be my heart throb. That needs to be the preeminent thing in my life is to seek for this experience. No, friend, no, 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 don't do it. In all things, may Christ have the preeminence. Seek Christ. But there's nothing wrong with asking Him for this. Never pursue the subjective or the experiential as an end in in themselves. The Lord Jesus Christ must be first. He must be preeminent. I love the words of Packer here, how timely they are. J.I. Packer says this concerning the overemphasis on signs, wonders, and sign gifts, and even in his day. And I think this is very appropriate to the hour in which we live. He says, one could wish that this aspect of the Spirit's ministry was prized. Now, what aspect? The love of God being poured out in our heart by the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about. He said, one could only wish that that aspect was prized more highly than it is in our present time. Listen, with perversity as pathetic as it is impoverishing, We have become preoccupied today with the extraordinary, sporadic, non-universal ministries of the Spirit to the neglect of the ordinary general ones. What's the ordinary general one? This love being shed abroad in our heart. Here's the second thing I want you to, to take with you tonight. Although a sovereign work of the Spirit, this pouring out of God's love in the believer's heart is something that you and I have every privilege of asking for. And I'm not talking about just simply casually asking, would you, would you give me this, Lord? But I'm talking about a desperation. Let me explain. You remember he says in... Luke 11, verse 13, I quoted a while ago. You're evil? You know how to give good gifts to your own children. But how much more, infinitely so, will the Father, literally the Greek, is keeps on giving without measure the Holy Spirit to them, those who have the Spirit already. Who ask him. And the word asked there is in an intense measure. In other words, it's not like, I sure would like the Holy Spirit's love. I, I like the love of Christ being poured out in my heart. No. Father, I'm seeking after Christ. I want to glorify Christ. I love Christ. But God, would you be pleased at this time because of something I'm going through? This trauma that I'm experiencing, would you be pleased, Father, to pour out your love in my heart by your Spirit? Please, Father. Please. I earnestly expect it. Thomas Goodwin, the Puritan, which Brother Jeff quoted in the earlier hour, he challenged the church in his day. This is what he said regarding crying out for this love. Sue him for it. Speaking of his relationship with God. Sue him for it. 
Ask Him for it. And don't give up. Don't give up. And then here's a third implication I'll leave with you tonight. Although we may not be given the experience, we will find, once again, remember, this outpouring is sovereign. And although you may plead for it, you ask for it, you wait on it, and yet it's still not given. God has good intent as to why He doesn't give it. But listen to this. Although we may not be given the experience, we will find a vast amount of personal comfort and incentive to rejoice, regardless of whatever sorrow that we're going through in our lives, if we will meditate on the objective truth of the love of God in Christ in His Gospel. Amen. i got to tell you in closing... Brother Paul has told me numerous occasions, he said, you know, Brother Don, he said, we get to heaven, we're going to know a lot. And I said, yeah, you know, in state of glorification, we're going to be like Christ. And then he says this, we're going to be hunting down the beauties and the realities of the gospel for all eternity. Amen. And when I heard that, I said, and he, he's, he's writing his 2600th page on nothing but the gospel. And so I'm saying to myself, why wait until I get to heaven? Why can't I take right now every little snippet that speaks of the gospel and the scripture, write it down, study it, write a commentary on it, allow it to salivate in my mind, meditate on it during the day. And you know what? I've been doing that to some degree. I'm here to tell you, friend, not because I'm special, because, listen, any person that may not even know the book that well can do this. If you would take this challenge tonight, it's amazing what happens is the more you meditate on the truths of the Gospel, the more you begin to become conformed to Christ. You start seeing things from His perspective. You start conforming, whether you realize it or not, into His image. And all to the praise of the glory of His grace. Amen. So this is the challenge that I have for you. Don't seek any experience. Seek Christ. But here's the theme of the message. If the love of God is poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit... The gospel alone objectively will sustain you. But for those who are most distressed, if this love is poured out, it will not only enable you to weather the trial, but help you to rejoice in it. And that's exactly what he's talking about in the text. Can you rejoice? You'll have no problem rejoicing if you know his experiential love. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we thank You for the prospects of the evening. We're thankful for Your people, Lord, the gathering of this event. But what a marvelous thing 
it would be if you visited your people tonight and they were engulfed in the love of Christ. This is my prayer. We look to you for this. Not to consume it upon our own lust, but that your name might be glorified. In Christ's strong name I pray. Amen.